The story of Treasure Key Abacos, Post Dorian. Mako Boats Owners Tournament. Feeding the pigs on No Name Key. And believe it or not, good old SpongeBob. All this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. Um, Stephen Busaka, the world's favorite millennial, in the Lunker Dog studios today. Back from a... Well, he's been traveling, man. Yeah. So all the places... What are all the places you went to this summer so far? Shoot. Orlando to see Mom. Okay. The West Coast to see Justin and go hike the Everglades. What's that, Naples? Where is that? Eh, South of this. So Everglades City. Everglades City. Everglades City. And and Green Turtle Key. Green Turtle Key. In the Abacos. So I've been all over the place, man. You've been rolling. I've been rolling, man. And you did some traveling, too. Well, that was the thing. You got to talk about all your traveling. Yeah. I've been traveling, motherfucker. I know you have. Like a traveling man. As I'm named the episode, Traveling Man. Traveling Man. <laughs> but I just got back from uh, Treasure Key in the Abacos. I saw the bonefish you were catching over in Green Turtle. I ain't going to lie. Brought back a lot of old memories, a lot of old feelings. I kind of wanted to do that. But I got... Um, it was a really good trip because the way the whole thing happened and why the whole thing happened... Um, I don't know if I told you this before, but... In the early 80s, my dad became friends with this guy, Rudy, who introduced him to Treasure Key over in the Abacos. It's like 1980, 81. Okay. And at the time, my dad and I were going through the Bahamas a lot, but the only reason we'd go would be for a fishing tournament. Marlin, right? Yeah, Marlin fishing, and then the Mako's Owners Tournament back then was real active. And... You know, they did Bimini, and then they did Chubb one time. Chubb. And they were getting, you know, people were getting into traveling, you know, through the Bahamas, which wasn't always, you know, normal like it is today. Yeah, because not everybody does it. <laughs> well, yeah, they got the boats can do it. There's facilities over there for people. I mean, it's a totally different world today. Yeah. But the, the reason I ended up going to uh, Treasure Key this time was my dad's friend Rudy passed away years ago. But I stayed friends real tight with the family because when we grew up together we were spending the best years of our lives you know say from the age um 13 to 30 wow all together with this family that introduced us to treasure key so not only did uh, they introduce us to treasure key the guy had a 25 mako which was like the cat's ass in the old days 1981 if you had a 25 mako that was like the nice center console that was like the Cadillac of center consoles. Especially if you're like into fishing. Yeah. Mako had the corner on the fishing world at one time. When it was a family-owned company and the Schwepkes owned it, there was this guy, Bill Monroe, that used, to, uh, that used to run the Mako owners tournaments. Bill Monroe ran a tight ship. Beautiful tournaments, big turnouts. And George Pavarama was just a youngster at the time. I was young. I was 13, 14. George was probably 19. George had been with Mako since then. That's how I got to know George Pavarama when I was just a kid fishing the Mako tournament. So anyway, Rudy had one of these Makos. It was pimped out by Saul Checker. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. 
was was there questioning about whether or not Paul Verma was really Italian back then? Did or there, was that something new? Dude, blue eyes, freckles, and <laughs> reddish blonde hair. There's always a question, okay? <laughs> and I'm going to leave. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was just I, I thought about that. I'm going to leave. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, I'm going to reach out to George because I want to do an episode on the old Mako's Owners Tournament. Because the old Mako's Owners Tournament wasn't quite like ADOC. <laughs> What's it? Well, because ADOC was like a university for people to learn how to fish. And they left ADOC and became really great fishermen. I thought you were going somewhere else with that conversation. <laughs> it, it could go a lot of ways. You know about what ADOC. I'm thinking of, too. <laughs> but ADOC was an institution. Basically, people, hundreds of the best fishermen in the world, learned how to fish and got their feet wet at ADOC. Okay? Right here in Fort Lauderdale. Right. Second to ADOC, I'm sure there's some other charter docks out there. I didn't grow up around them, so I'm not going to talk about them, but I'm sure they're there. But rather than the charter docks, the other way that I thought was ingenious by Mako Boats was this owner's tournament that they ran. And they would literally do a tournament every month from New Jersey to Chub Key to Miami. I mean, they just did them, and they were good. And people that first got their center console boats because in the, in the early 80s people were still learning how to fish there wasn't like everybody didn't know how to fish guys like my dad guys like this guy rudy george pavaramo people were learning how to fish at the time and the mako's owner's tournament was a huge part of that now what now, now that brings up something interesting though so when you said that these tournaments were good what do you what are the standards by what you think makes a tournament good all right, especially back then, this is what made tournaments good, great, for that matter. High particip- uh, participation. Okay. okay, so you had to have a lot of boats, a lot of you know competition. Yeah. You had to have the reason they were fishing for the right reasons. Okay, these guys bought their boats and wanted to learn how to fish and did the tournaments because of that. Because they wanted to learn how to fish, people like myself... People like George that had a little bit of experience could take somebody under the arm and teach them what you knew, which would make them compete more in the tournaments. So there was some healthy competition there. Very healthy competition. The rules were very straightforward. This guy, Bill Monroe, you know, accommodations, you know, made sure people had places to stay, people to dock their boats. They did the great dinners, banquets. um, Prizes. Lots of prizes. And it was fun. It was fun. And people had a great time um, learning how to fish and doing tournaments. The tournaments today, it's a lot of show. It's not so much fun. It's a lot of work, a lot of money, and a totally different attitude than the way the tournaments were in the 80s. Probably the vibe is, I'm sure, just different, too. Totally different. Dude, I was listening to a podcast the other day with some captains up in the Maryland area that run big boats for rich guys, you know, 90-foot vikings and fancy sport fishes and they're they're talking to one another and they did this huge caribbean trip and they didn't get more than four marlin in a day and they were complaining about it that they got four marlin in a day that they didn't get more than four marlin in a day and they were talking about some of the other boats that were getting you know on average six or seven a day and all this stuff and the conversation was so bland like depressing it sounds like too it's just like just like really all you got was four marlin a day just four you poor bastards you know what i mean and they're getting paid to do it 
you know. But I'm just saying, that's the difference between the 80s and now. People go out there with millions and millions and millions of dollars with crews that they're paying a half a million dollars a year to run the boat, to go to crazy places like the Dominican Republic and friggin', you know, the BVI and Los Sueños and all these places so they can say that they can catch 10 or 12 mile in a day. And then if you don't do that... Everybody gets pissed. Yeah, the people are disappointed. Right. And the <laughs> owners only get on the boat when they fish. Where in the old days, like let's say the Mako's owners tournament, they decided they were going to do Chub Key. Okay. Now that was kind of a far trip for a bunch of center... Where, where is Chub Key? Is that by, free, is that by um, Grand Bahama? All right. If you're, if you're going to... Say you're going to Bimini. Make okay. it simple. And you just keep going past Bimini... And you get up on the Bahama Bank there, and it's all shallow. And then it drops off. Andros is to your right, Chubb's to your left. Then it gets real deep before you get to Nassau. That's called the pocket of Chubb Key. So it's, it's closer to Nassau then? Right. Okay. Nassau and New real province. close to Andros. Okay. Okay. So getting the Mako guys just to get there was a huge part of the tournament. You had to help each other get, make sure they reached their destination. Yeah. And I can remember the charts that Mako would photocopy for everybody. So when you got your tournament kit, it was like, okay, this is the headings, and this is what we do, and people are going to leave from certain spots. So six boats would, would be at 15th Street boat ramp. They're all going to leave from Port Everglades, but they'd leave together, and they'd caravan in case one of them had Something a problem. Happened. Yeah. You know, make sure they, you know, it was just the way you did it back then. So the, the yeah, the vibe was totally different. And this I'm gonna sounds get fun, and, and George George Pavaramo, he was you know sponsored by Mako and or whatever he was part of the Mako deal back then so he was at almost all the tournaments and he was that's where he got his reputation of teaching everybody you know and his show and all that kind of stuff because he actually did it yeah you know so bringing that to back to Treasure Key so. The guys that had this Mako, they then later decided to buy a Salt Shaker 30. That was a custom boat that my dad specifically made to go from South Florida to make a 200-mile trip or more into the Caribbean, which at the time, in 1981, there wasn't a boat that you could do that on. So he developed the 30-foot Salt Shaker. Rudy, I think, got the third or fourth one ever built. Now, after Rudy passed away, because the boat was in the family, they kept the salt shaker. But they kept it over in Treasure Key for the longest time. Okay. And therefore, it became a wreck. But they decided, because it was their dad's boat, that they'd bring it back to the States and they were going to redo it, which they did. Really? And they brought the salt shaker back. And then they were actually getting to use it and, you know, really starting to love the boat again. And the whole family was rallying behind Treasure Key. And then Dorian hit. And when Dorian hit, it wrecked the boat again. Fortunately, their house over in Treasure Key was still there. But they brought the boat back to get rebuilt again. This guy, Mike, up at Marine, uh, Marine Maintenance that I met, um, he, did t he did your buddy TJ's boat. Yeah. He did a few of my customers' boats. And um, they needed the salt shaker redone. So I asked Mike if he would redo the salt shaker. And they did. Um, took about a year to get it done a lot of work but then it was time to bring this old shaker back back home back to treasure key and rudy's grandson jake 
who we had on the podcast way back then, avid fly fisherman. He now lives in Treasure Key, and he's got a job helping them open up the Abaco Lodge, which is a bonefish camp on the back of the island. So he's over there, and they want the boat to get back over there. So they reach out to me and ask me if I can help them get the boat back over there. So the whole reason I'm going to Treasure Key was the right reason. Same reason people entered those Mako tournaments back in the day. To bring Rudy's boat back home. Bring Rudy's boat, right. For the joy of fishing. For the love of the life. I like that. That's actually a really cool story, man. But I wasn't ready. um, I wasn't ready to see Treasure Key after Dorian. It's pretty sad. That was your first time seeing it. Post-Dorian, Post-Dorian, correct. So what were your thoughts? Dude, it's still a wreck over there. I want to applaud America and the Americans for helping the Bahamas so much after the catastrophe. Because without that, they'd have been in a lot worse shape than they are now. But what people don't understand is the Treasure Key is on the main island of Abaco. And Treasure Key is privately owned by this guy named Meisner. Okay, now Meisner owned the whole marina. He also owned the hotels there, and the restaurants, and he actually owns everything on the island, or I should say, in the it's a peninsula. Owned the whole peninsula, unless you specifically bought from him, he owns everything else. Really, really. So, Treasure Key got hit really bad by the storm. Dude, it is leveled. Where our house used to be, there was houses lined up next to him totally wiped out it's just a vacant field now there's absolutely no marina left now remember this was the first big marina in the abacos ever and i'll tell you about that in a bit totally gone hotel totally gone restaurants totally gone townhouses houses whole neighborhoods totally flattened nothing left all the people that i knew that worked in treasure key some of the best bahamians that i've ever been around some of the best people I've ever been around in my life, all gone. There's nobody left. There's nothing in Treasure Key. Except for one bright spot, the guy that owns a thing called the Bahama Beach Club over there. And Florence and Captain Forty are still serving up the best cinnamon buns in all the Bahamas. The Bahama Beach Club is a set of condos. And before it was private and you had to be a member to actually go in there. Nice little place, you know, right on Treasure Key Beach. Beautiful. The owner of that place is on the ball. Got that place cleaned up. It's the only place serving food. It's the only place where there's a few Bahamians working. And don't let me forget about twerking, because I did bring that up with the Bahamians over there. (laughs) Wait, you twerked? I know, but remember the old episode where I swore that twerking was originated in the Bahamas? That was a long time ago. Right. Holy well, don't, I never forget. I'm like an elephant. Yes, you are. I talked to the source in the Bahamas about that, and we're getting into that in a minute. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But the guy that owns the Bahama Beach Club over there has got his shit together, kind of like the people in Green, Green Turtle. Turtle had their shit together. Yeah. And Guana has pretty much got their shit together and getting everything rebuilt and everything you know, is happening and people are working and things yeah. are progressing. But Treasure Key, not so much. So there's just at a standstill pretty much. Well, I think the guy Meisner... Okay, who had neglected Treasure Key for a while. I think he just got his insurance money and just kept the cash. And he said, fuck it, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to leave it the way it is. That's sad. It is sad. And it was hard to watch. And it was hard to be around. Now, I did have some, you know, heck of a lot of fun doing it. I did it with the right people. I did it for the right reasons. But that was pretty harsh. 
I mean, you grew up going there too, you know, so it's kind of tough. It's like basically seeing your second home Gone. destroyed. Right. In the, in, and worse than that is you could see that the, the anguish in the people that were still there. I mean, it's hard for them. You know what I mean? Because, you know, Tre- Treasure Cave was its own little community, its own little town. People went there for work for years, from Marsh Harbor or from Cooperstown or whatever, and that's what they had. And it's not there anymore, and the people aren't there anymore, which is, you know, hard to swallow. On the positive note, the kid Jake, I was with him, and I was with his uncle, Stephen. Stephen and I were kids who grew up over there. Stephen didn't go there all the time, but that's how we knew each other. So anyway, I got to experience all this with them. The kid, Jake, got a little skiff over there and loves bone fishing. So him Sounds and I... Like my kind of guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, you would, have, you would have loved it. As a matter of fact, I, I, uh, I wish I, I would have put you guys together when you went to Green Turtle. Because you could have got to meet Jake and all that kind of stuff. I kind of blew the book. That's all right. I'm, I'm going back. Believe me. All right. I'm going to be going back. Well, once you go there, it's like It's like the mafia. Once you're in, well, that's you just, it. You just always <laughs> think about it. Yeah. He's, I'm going to go back. I haven't stopped thinking about it. Right. I'm already planning the next trip for next year. Right. Well, when, we, um, when Jake um, opens up the Abaco Lodge again. We should go. I think we should reach out to the network, get 10 or 12 guys that want to go. And uh, roll over there, help support the economy on the island, get in some great bone fishing at one of the best lodges ever built over there. We should do that. Yeah, I think that'd be great. But um, Jake is figuring out this little fishing holes over there. And he loves fly fishing. So he bought this old um, Maverick skiff. And I mean old, I mean old. This thing's like a 1978 or something. I mean, it is old, and it's been sitting in the Bahamas for friggin' 30 years or whatever. But he bought this thing, and uh, that's his skiff. And we've been out, and we do these little two-hour sessions with the fly rods. How'd you guys do? Just Well, we're just smoking the bonefish. <laughs> He's got his little spots. The wind was blowing like crazy. It was blowing like 25. But it didn't really seem to matter. The fish didn't mind it. So we were out there. We're doing the bonefishing and um, a lot of fly fishing. And... Uh, it was just great to be back to Treasure Key, but I want people to understand that the place, anybody out there like yes, lotto winners or friggin' know somebody that's got, I don't know, a billion dollars or a few hundred million, go over to Treasure Key and do something with that place. Maybe buy it from that guy Meisner or whatever, because it does, it needs somebody. Maybe the guy from the Bahama Beach Club could buy it from the guy Meisner. How old is Meisner? Is he an older guy, I'm assuming? Well, I think, I think the original Meisner guy died and I think his son has inherited all this now so, so it's his issue now so son's got to be in possibly 60s maybe even older by now yeah I have no clue I don't know the Meisners never met them whatever I you know I heard everybody talk about them for years and they've mismanaged Treasure Key for a long time the other places weren't even around when Treasure Key was in its prime Treasure Key got into its prime in like 1982-83 and I'll explain how it happened. So my dad's over there hanging out with Rudy. Yeah. And he doesn't realize, or no, people don't realize how beautiful and big Treasure Key was. So my dad came back and got the Mako's Owners Tournament to come to Treasure Key. Then he got the Cabo Tournament to come to Treasure Key. Then he got the BBC I think he got the BBC first to go to Treasure Key. 
And for the last 30 years or more, the BBC has been tournaments at a Treasure Key. Treasure Key had its own tournament. This is before the marinas in Marsh Harbor were even built. This is before this is a, uh, Hopetown could even take a boat over 50 feet in that place. This is before anybody even moved to Guana Key, which is now the place for the rich and the famous and all the beautiful people. Guana? Dude, like... Brady's got a place out there, Tom Brady, really? like J-Lo, and all the, you know, all the beautiful people. And I went over there to take a look. I couldn't believe it. Dude, they got six, seven, eight thousand foot homes on the beach in Guana Key. No shit. Dude, when we used to go to Guana Key, it was kind of creepy because the few Bahamians that were there looked like they were like zombie, like one eye looking at you, like all skinny and shit. They kind of weirded you out. And there was only one place on Guana to even go. What was that? It was called the Guana Key Club, which is on the beach side of the island, which is this little private yacht club that you'd show up to, and you'd order turtle. Deep fried, right? Right. you get your <laughs> turtle over there. And those are the ones, the original Guana Grabber drink came from that place before any of the other stuff was around. So many people go to freaking Nippers and get a Grabber drink, the big fruity drink that they have. I feel like every island in the Bahama, Bahamas has... So like Bimini, you got the knockout punch. Right, they all got a theme. Green turtle. They've got the uh, the Goombe smash. Right. So so what is Guanas called again? The grabber. The grabber. Right. Which is a rum punch drink. It's great. But <laughs> but I'm just saying you could get a grabber on Guana Key way back when when that was the only place there. When you pulled up to Guana Key, the only docks that were there were the government docks. So you just tied up your boat and went over to that one place. Really. So anyway. When the tournament started going to Treasure Key way back when, that was the place for the big sport fish boats. That's where the tournaments were. Yeah. That's where the hub for the Abacos was, was in Treasure Key. As the other places grew around it, and Treasure Key had been neglected, it got harder to manage tournaments and stuff. As a matter of fact, Mitchell and I fished the Zindog in one of the last tournaments that the BBC did in Treasure Key. With Dan the Man, right? With Dan the Man. And I had Zen. And we did two tournaments back to back. We, uh, you know, it was great. And at the time, I had no clue that that might be some of the last tournaments that they'd ever did at a Treasure Key. Jesus. Right. Those are Marlin tournaments, right? Yeah, those are all Blue Marlin tournaments. But the, the guys that have been around a long time understand what I'm talking about. But all the new blood with these 90-foot sport fishes and stuff, they have no clue how the whole Abaco chain started, developed with the sport fishing, which is almost obsolete there now. And it started in Treasure Key. Treasure Key was the place. So Treasure was the sense. It was, it was the beating heart of the Abacos for a long time. For a long time. Now, we, now, I know when you were fishing for bonefish with Jake, you guys were not fishing the marls, correct? No, we were on the ocean side. So where, where is, is the marls in Treasure Key or is that Marsh Harbor? No, the marls is on the backside of the, uh, the whole Abaco Island. They call the marls. Okay? Then um, Treasure Key is a peninsula that comes off of the main island that goes out towards Green Turtle and um, has its own little beach, but it's on the ocean side. Well, there, there's a bunch of flats around it, like the flats that you fish with Donnie. Ronnie. Ronnie. <laughs> the flats you fish with Ronnie. And then the whole ocean side of the mainland, there's these little coves and stuff. And there's, it's not like the Marls, where you just have hundreds of thousands of bonefish swimming all over the place. But it is good. And Jake's, you know, kind of, it's gone full circle with Jake. When Jake was just a kid, 
before he could friggin' even drive a boat and stuff, I would take him fishing. And then I'd meet them over in Treasure, and he would find out a little snapper spot or whatever, and he wanted to show me. You know? awesome. Then Jake ends up going to University of Miami because he loved the ocean and stuff. So while I was at the University of Miami, I got the chance to help him out with his tarpon fishing. Always a fly fishing, not this kid. How old is he? Now he's like 26. Oh, he's a little bit younger than me then. Yeah. Good for him. And um, now it's gone full circle where he's taking me fishing, showing me his spots. He's pulling me around. The student becomes the teacher. Dude. There is nothing in life for a fishing guide that feels better than that. And he put you on the bonefish, too. Dude, we had a blast. We'd catch a few bonefish. We'd go back, have lunch, take a little nap, maybe go out for a couple hours again, get a few bonefish. Then he had his all this shit to do with the lodge. So unlike the old days, we're traveling back and forth from Treasure Key to Marsh Harbor, and the old days was like a full-day event. The road wasn't fucking paved. So it was a bumpy ride. Yeah, you could only go like 20 miles an hour, and it's about a 20-mile trip or whatever, maybe 15 miles or whatever by road. But to make the trip from Treasure Key to Marsh Harbor in the old days, I mean, literally, what are you going to do today? Oh, we're going to go to Marsh Harbor, because it took a whole day to go there and back. Where did you meet Arthnell to go bone fishing that time? Was that in Marsh Harbor, or was it Treasure that you met in the morning? Treasure Key. And, and you guys drove to Freegan the Marls, right? Right, in his station wagon with the outboard in the back. How long did it take you to get over there? Just to get just to get to where he fished, which is as close as you could get to Treasure Key and also be in the Marls. I mean it'd take us literally twenty minutes, twenty five minutes to go like four miles. Because it wasn't dude, the roads weren't paved. It was just Today that. it would take you like five, six minutes. Right. <laughs> dude, we go to Marsh Harbor in friggin' thirty minutes. You go to Marsh Harbor after breakfast and before lunch. Yeah. It's like nothing now. Where in the old days, that was like a journey. When you were in the car without now, did he have music playing or no. were you guys talking about? like Bahamians listened to baseball on AM radio back then. I think they, some of the, still, the old ones still do. So they were doing AM radio, listening to baseball, playing dominoes. You had the cab drivers. That was a group of, that was an industry there. They were great. You'd hang out with the cabbies. Oh, yeah. Dude, the cabbie we had in Marsh Harbor, phenomenal. He called himself uh, Little Russ. Right. The, cab, the whole cab industry is funny. And yeah, they they're good. Characters. They're good. And then Treasure Key had its own little group of taxi drivers. Yeah. And they would hang out in front of the marina where the spinnaker was. That is now all just leveled and no one's built. You look at the old parking lot. They used to have these huge trees and would all sit under the, under the trees, friggin' hang out and bullshit for hours on end with the taxi drivers all gone no taxi drivers because there's nobody going back and forth we i told you we passed by treasure like you see the big sign when we were heading down to the marina that said treasure key but didn't get a chance to go in there at all there's no reason no for reason you, no reason for you to go in there yeah. and in the old days there might have been a reason for you to go in there maybe you wanted to hang out at the marina at the friggin' they called the um the hell did they call that at the marina the tipsy seagull is that what it was called? Yeah. So maybe you'd go there to go to the Tipsy Seagull. Or maybe you'd go to the Cocoa Bar on the on the beach and get a hamburger during the day. Or maybe you're going to go out for a big dinner and then you go to the Spinnaker, which overlooked the marina, which is a nice sit-down place to go to dinner. But Treasure Key, there was something for people to come to. Maybe you're going to keep the boat at the marina. Back then, you wouldn't have flew into Marsh Harbor. You would have flew into Treasure Key Airport because that's closer to Green Turtle than Marsh Harbor is. 
Does Treasury Key even still have, is the airport still there? It's funny you mention that because I flew out of Treasury Key Airport. To right? come back? To, uh, yeah, on a cargo plane. Holy shit. What was that like? <laughs> Dude, you felt like cargo. It's just me. How tiny was the plane? The plane was tiny, which is normal. That's not yeah. like too uncrazy. Yeah, our plane was small. But, but there's no seats in the plane except for you and the pilot. Everything else is just cargo space. So you got a bunch so of... So that was a really small plane. Right. And then the guy, the guy uh, was a Brazilian kid named Ronaldo, whose accent was so steep it was hard for me. Plus, the airport, the, you know, the, being in those little planes is loud as balls. But when you're in the Treasure Key Airport now, they're doing the airport business out of a friggin' like a little Winnebago trailer that you put on the back of your pickup truck. Are you serious? And that's the right. That's Treasure Key Airport. That's their base uh, base of operations, pretty much. Right. There was there was. I was surprised to see there was like three or four like real jets there. Private like, jets, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, but like real jets, like saber liners and shit. Not just, not nice jets, like the jets. Really? Yeah, which I was surprised to see because... I'm surprised. <laughs> I mean, the, the runway itself looks fine, but everything else looks third world. And that was the other thing that, that, that was totally wild. Is I know the realtors over there. There's only a few. One guy named Johnny Cash is a character. Who I ran into Johnny Cash. Yeah, who I ran into... Uh, while we were over there. And now people go and shop around Treasure Key in the mainland for discount properties compared to the outer islands. Which is, I'm assuming that's unusual compared to how it used to be? Well, it used to be people couldn't even get stuff built on the outer islands. And if you did, you got what you got. They didn't have these construction crews and these, you know, these ways to build over there. So the main island was where the nice houses were and where the facilities were. And then if you had a lot of money, you might be able to maintain a nice house, you know, out on... um, Maybe Guanaki or something. Guana or Scotland or whatever. And if you had a, you know, they had their little system. But it was hard. Today, everything's reversed. But there's hope for Treasure Key, and I'll tell you why. Why? Because Treasure Key is a special place. And it has a beautiful beach. And has some of the best people in all of the fucking Bahamas. I heard about the beach. All you need is the beach... And the people. The two most important things. Most, one of the most beautiful... Water, right? Why? That's why we're always, I'm so fucking crazy about water quality over here. Because it's real simple. With beautiful water, you get beautiful people and beautiful things. Talk about the quality of water over there. Because you and I both got to experience it. Just the difference. Lush seagrass beds. Fish. Like... Well, yeah. I mean, the fish, the grass... Unfortunately, a lot of the coral over there is dead now. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that. But, but that, that fresh feeling. See, that was something that you're starting to experience now, the fresh feeling. Yeah. Well, people my age had that fresh feeling when you were, you know, before you would say 20 years ago. Yeah. That was taken from us, stripped from us. So you feel, you know, this, this huge emotion when you see the beautiful water and then you come back to Fort Lauderdale and see what we have here. Well, how many times did I tell you that bone fishing over there almost kind of ruined it? it? It almost ruined it for me over here because I was like, we can actually find fish out there. And then it would come back here. Now, I love fishing with Carl, but I'm like... In the bay, it, it could take a... I've been out there, Carl and I, trying to find for four hours just trying to find them. Right. right. Just to find them. 
Right. So, yeah, it's, that's you know that's it. Like I said, it's harder for the younger people to get it. Yeah. You guys get it. You're getting it when you go to a place like Green Turtle or something. But the older people remember when Florida people came here because of the water. Yeah. They didn't come here because of the Ritz. They didn't come here, you know what I mean? The W. Right, they didn't come here to spend friggin', you know, crazy amounts of money to go out to dinner. They came here because they wanted to hang out on the beach. And they Proximity wanted to be in the water. water. And they wanted to fish when they came to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. You know, nobody comes to Fort Lauderdale. I mean, unless you're a client of mine. <laughs> Think I mean, about who, it. Yeah, who else comes, who else is fishing in Fort Lauderdale? Well, there's a little bit of a market here because people come here and then they decide they, that it might be something they want to do. But no, Fort Lauderdale is not an international fishing destination anymore. Used to be. It was at one time, and one of the best. Yeah. Well, how many times did you tell me you rarely even left Fort Lauderdale to fish because the tarpon and snook fishing over here was so good? Tarpon, snook, sailfish, kingfish, mahi, mahi bonitos. Dude, we, I mean, it was just a, a, a phenomenal fishery, better than pretty much any place on the east on the east coast hands down hence all the great fishermen that have come from fort lauderdale randy toe dude i was listening to randy toe's podcast with millhouse no well i listened to that one with millhouse but randy's doing a uh you know you know i'm pat myself on the back i promote all the other fishing podcasts I mean, you know, when you do a podcast with the other podcast, and they'll say who you are, and if you have a podcast. But I don't know if they listen. Maybe they just don't listen to the podcast. Well, I mean, we're a little bit unorthodox, I guess, compared to others. Well, it's... But I think that's our strong point, but... We're not unorthodox. We're original style. That's my way... Yeah, that's my way of saying original style, unorthodox. It might be... Un- that's unorthodox to somebody that doesn't have original style. Exactly. But... So Randy, so Randy Toe has his own so podcast. So now Randy's got a podcast. Okay, how was it? good it was good for me especially because randy's a Fort lauderdale guy did he have anybody notable on there well um sean murphy texted me a link that he listened to one of randy's podcasts with um tommy green oh he did one with tommy right and tommy i guess local boy randy asked tommy what the most phenomenal fishing that he's ever seen was what did he say it was funny because this is why murphy sent me the link because then they brought up Tommy and my old man and this guy Munson in the Venezuelan trips in the old days. Yeah. And Tommy was saying how the best fishing he's ever seen was in Venezuela in the 80s with my old man and this guy Joe Munson. Really? It was kind of cool. So, for me... Sure you did that. I, yeah, I want him to hear it. But for me, I love Randy Toe's podcast. The kid's from Fort Lauderdale. He's a successful fishing guy that's been in the Keys forever that knows everybody. So, for me, that's great content. I can listen to that crap all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can relate to it, too. You lived it. I'm, I'm a fisherman from Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. I mean... That's relatable. But Randy Toe, fucking hero of mine, for crying out loud, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Almost like, is he, so he, he's almost like a John Tedder, in a way. S- similar. He's a little bit older than John Tedder. Oh, is he older? Just a little bit older. Okay. And, um... But... You know, same thing. Grew up in Bill Manors on his bicycle, running around Friggin' Los Angeles Boulevard, fishing for big snooks and jacks and stuff. Became a good fisherman, went to A-Dock, worked on A-Dock for a few years. The guy that he was working on in A-Dock then moved to the Keys, so Randy moved to the Keys. 
The guy worked for Tommy Green, Tommy Green's Tackle Shops. For me, dude, it was great. Custom, gun. Gu- custom Rod and Gun? Custom, is that what it was called? Pompano Custom Rod and Gun. Is it still there? Still there. God bless. Some kid um, bought it from Tommy. I'm not sure how the transition oh, really? worked. really? not sure how the transition and everything you know, is. I haven't been down there since. But they are opening up um, a brand new location. Right really? Facing Federal Highway in one of the fancier um, strip malls. In Fort Lauderdale? In Pompano. Oh, still in Pompano. I don't okay. get, and that's the other thing. Not only is Pompano the T-top capital of the world, it's also the bait shop capital of the world. There's more tackle shops. There is a lot. We remember, five, we went up there. In a five-mile period. And they're not like little dinky tackle shops. These are the they're best huge. tackle shops in the world. They're all right next to one another. Yeah. Remember you and I when we went to see Eric that one time? We drove up there. We stopped at like three of them. Right. You know how you go to different towns and they have like car dealer sections or just one big giant car dealer after another? Yes. Pompano has that with big shops. Yeah. <laughs> and they got, that's where, the, that's where Lighthouse Point is too, right? Right. It's Pompano. Right. So you get, well, Lighthouse Point, Pompano, same shit. People in Lighthouse Point like to say they're from Lighthouse Point. Kind of like people from Ocean Reef. They don't say they're in the Keys. They say they're in Ocean Reef. They like there to be a distinction. Yeah, you know. I think, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, thing there. Did people <laughs> did people in Treasure Key, did they like to say they went to the Abacos, or were they like, no, we went to Treasure Key? Hmm. It was more like I went to Treasure Key. Okay. Because for me, like if people ask, I, I, they say you go to Bahamas, where'd you go? I usually just say the Abacos. And if they really, and then that's how I know if they're... Usually, you went once. Well, no, <laughs> since recently. Then. Since then, if they ask me, where did I go to catch the bonefish, they're like... I usually just say the Abacos, and if they, re- and then if I know if they're really into it, they'll be like, "Well, where in the Abacos?" No, I'll say Green Turtle. See, I would say Green Turtle first. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a personal preference. Okay. Well, maybe I'll adopt that. They'll probably be like, "Huh? Where's that?" Well, because it, I mean, Green Turtle is in the Abacos. Yeah. But then you have Abaco, which is Great the Abaco, Abaco, which is the island itself. Yeah. So. Hopetown, right. Cooperstown, all those places. But even then, Treasure Key's on Abaco, I'd say Treasure Key. Yeah. So I'll start saying Green Turtle first. I'll try that. There you go. They'll have, they'll, most people probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's all right. People know. People know. Real guys know. People know now. Fucking Abaco is no secret anymore. Just it used to be, you said. It was, well, it was not the norm to be there. Yeah. Now it's normal. Well, I told you about how Ronnie was telling me the stories about how those freaking people from the Carolinas were going over there with skiffs, doing their own charters, and just saying, oh, yeah, we're taking our, this is our friends and our family. Yeah. No. Well, I think it was getting a little out of hand before Dorian, the amount of people that were going over there, the amount of people that were buying properties and transitioning over there at one time. So there was an adjustment thing I think they were going through. But guys like Ronnie, you know, I think they got it. Way under control now. Yeah, but I think the I think the growth rate was out of control there for a while. They were experiencing Fort Lauderdale shit. I, I basically like what we're experiencing in Florida yeah. ever since COVID, yeah, but in a Bahamian way, which is probably better than our way. <laughs> ah, don't be so sure. You know that's the other thing. A lot of people don't realize how thin the Bahamian government is. There's nothing to it. They don't do shit. Not too different from our government. <laughs> well, but there's a lot to it, and they don't do shit over here. Our government employs 30% of the people. You can't Is it say, 30%? I know it was in Massachusetts. When I was working in Massachusetts, one of the things that I used to listen to, like Rush Limbaugh and those conservative podcasts, know, yeah. Well, back then it was AM radio. And they would say, if you lived in Massachusetts or Connecticut, when you walk outside your house, 
If you look to your right and then you look to your left, you're paying for one of them people to live. Because one out of three people either work for the city, state, or the feds in Connecticut, you, that's Massachusetts. What they used to say? Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, I told you because my dad was born in Connecticut. Yeah. He didn't, I mean, it wasn't there long, but I think there for six years. Was he a stuffy neighborhood in Connecticut? Where was he? He was in Bridgeport, dude. And Bridgeport was rough. But yeah, that is not a stuffy neighborhood. Just outside of Bridgeport, there's some stuffy neighborhoods on the coast. Bridgeport's tough. I had some really good friends from Bridgeport that I played on. Uh, at University of Connecticut with. Yeah, Bridgeport Bridgeport at one point was actually worse than the Bronx. Yeah, Bridgeport okay. was tough. That was why they got out of there, because it was so rough. One of the, and one of the nicest people that I've ever met through football was this kid named Linwood. Linwood Vereen. I hope somebody friggin' knows Linwood. Wait, his fir- oh, his first name is Linwood? Right, and his last name was Vereen. Okay. Him and I were tight. We both played in the backfield together, or defensive backfield, and he was from Bridgeport. And he was one of the most favorite people that I went to school with. Great dude. He was from Bridgeport. Bridgeport guy. Not yeah. Italian, right? No, he. Or was he, he was Italian? also the type of guy that if you were walking down the street in Bridgeport and he had a frown on his face, you'd walk to the other side of the street. So he, was he Italian? No, he's a black kid from Bridgeport. I didn't even know they had black folks in Bridgeport. Are you kidding me? I just thought it was all freaking bunch of Italians. A bunch of Italian thug types. Pretty much. No. They got it all, I think. I think they got their Latin section. They got their black section. I didn't even know they had an Italian section. Dude, the mafia was so freaking bad over there at one point. They probably had their own mafia in, like, Bridgeport. Yeah, hence the reason uh, my dad and his and grandpa and everybody was not there very long. I think they <laughs> moved when I might. I think my dad was six years old when they moved. Well, you know, the other neighborhoods around Bridgeport were, like, real stuffy-type neighborhoods. Like a bunch of old folks, pretty much? Yeah, let's just say that, you know, the average income up there is about ten times what it is here in South Florida. Yeah, a whole Damn. bunch of rich, stuffy people up there in Connecticut. In, around Bridgeport. Around Bridgeport, believe say, it or not. Not in Bridgeport. Not Bridgeport itself. Anyway, <laughs> I got to meet them all. They were all great people. That's awesome. But getting back to Treasure Key, like some of the things that totally drive me crazy is those pigs out there at No Name Key. Treasure Key's not built up, but now they feed the pigs over at No Name? Like that is No Name Key? Well, that is totally beneath me. To go play with hogs? To go feed pigs and then... Swim with them? That's the whole thing. Like, first of all, the pigs were never at No Name Key to fucking burst everybody's bubble. We, it was they, the Zumas. Dude, I don't know what's up with the Zumas, but I do know what's up with the Abacos. Those pigs were not on No Name Key. Yeah, they brought them over. They brought them over so you terrorists could go over there and feed the pigs is... And they built their own little economy industry marketplace over there, which is great if that's what you're into. But I'm calling a spade a spade. Feeding the pigs at No Name Key is beneath me. That's a tourist trap type thing. I just don't understand the excitement about it. I don't get it. Well, it's something to do. But there's so many things, other things you could do in the Bahamas. Well, it's kind of like here. There's so many other things you could do besides hang out on the sandbar. But the most popular thing to do is to hang out on the sandbar. So anyway, we went over to No Name Key just to check it out. because This th- last trip? This last trip. Okay. Because Stephen wanted to see it. First of Not all, me, Stephen. The other Stephen. Stephen Wood. Yes. Who was Rudy's son. Yes. Who's Jake's <laughs> uncle. Just to keep everybody straight over say, here. Not me, Stephen. That's Stephen. <laughs> so Stephen wanted to see it because No Name Key didn't even have a name. Never mind anything on it. But it was a beautiful little back beach to it and the front of the beach had a great reef it was great spear fishing and nobody ever used to go over there and from green turtle that was a destination to go diving and now it's a destination to feed pigs 
And then I eat at the restaurant, and they got all the regular stuff. They got hamburger. They got friggin' the conch fritters. They got the cracked conch. They got the fish of the day. No pork. If the guy had any balls at all, he'd cook one of those pigs once a week and feed everybody. <laughs> and then he would name the place like friggin' Porky's or something. You know, I actually saw one wild hog on Green Turtle while I was there. One. Guess where it was? In the dump. Rummaging through garbage cans. And I guarantee you that that pig came over from No Nam Key. I would imagine so. Yeah. They probably brought it over. Right. Which is gross. I just... I just I don't understand where everybody got this excitement to go feed hogs. Well, all right. So we went through that. We went through that. They didn't have pulled pork on the menu. Oh, we're going back to that. Well, I'm just saying, okay. if you had any balls at all, <laughs> if you're going to have the place where you could feed the pigs and have the big restaurant out on the island. Feed the pig and then feed the tourist the pig. How could it not be friggin' a barbecue place? Well, because probably people will flip out and assume that the pork on the menu come from one of the hogs on the island that they've been feeding. They've been fattening them up. It's because the turtle lovers like that place. And if you're a turtle lover, you can't eat what you're playing with, according to them. Which brings me to the next fucking subject about Treasure Key. Turtle. There was, I, I've been on the ocean... Since I can remember. Okay. I'm 54 fucking years old. Are you 54? Yes. I thought you were 53. Yeah, but I'm glad you had a birthday. I thought it was okay, but go on. Anyway. So since I can remember, I've been on the ocean. Yeah. Every time you see a turtle, you notice a turtle. Turtles are cool. Great to see them out there. Yeah, love them. All the turtle freaks out there, you guys did it. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. There are more turtles... In the Abacos, Fort Lauderdale, the Keys, any place that I've been in the last friggin' three or four years. But Treasure Key takes the cake. Literally, Stephen, while we were pulling around, we're getting pissed at the turtles because the turtles are spooking from the boat and blowing into the bonefish schools and spooking the bonefish. Jake hates them. Really? They're the most annoying son of a bitches. And I fished for bonefish over the Abacos my whole life, and I've never had a, a turtle invasion problem. You know how we got jet ski invasion? Yeah. The Abacos <laughs> has turtle invasion problems over there. I think they ought to open up the season on the turtles. I think the libs can pat themselves on the back. Okay, you guys did it. You saved them. Now let's harvest a few. So green turtle, Ronnie was telling me, I think they're allowed to keep a certain amount now per year. It's not many, but I think that they are allowed to keep a few per year. Well, I think the turtle people need to take a victory lap and calm the fuck down because they won. They did it. It's a great thing, though. I was going to say, we got to see a lot more turtles finally. It's phenomenal. Let's eat some. <laughs> oh, you can't eat a freaking turtle. Oh, you can have a stone crab, though. I think it's because the stone crab's not cute. I think they're cute. Stone crab? Dude, I watched. I mean, I got a kid, so I went through the whole SpongeBob thing. Mr. Krabs. Right, they're cute. What you know about that? Yeah, I know a lot about SpongeBob. Dude, Anybody that's got a teenager now went through the SpongeBob thing. Do you know, and I'm actually kind of proud of this, I watched the very first episode of SpongeBob that ever aired the day it aired in 1999. And I still remember that to this day because I, 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 no, I don't think any of us realized 
just how big of a phenomenon SpongeBob was going to become. And I got to see it the day it aired. All right. So this is great. This is great. This. We're talking about SpongeBob. Right I love, now. Dude, SpongeBob's classic. What do you remember when SpongeBob was the thing? Yeah. The criticism that all the kids that watch SpongeBob were going to grow up with freaking mental deficits. What? Right. It was like the worst thing. I must have been too young. You were definitely too young. I was a parent. I had to hear this shit. SpongeBob was going to ruin everybody's kid's future. Everybody's going to become numb in the head because of SpongeBob. SpongeBob was the worst thing for kids. In the what? meantime, my kid's a junior in high school now. Straight A's. Right? Which used to be phenomenal. It was like phenom to get straight A's. Yeah, that was actually... that was. Was a, my mom would have loved me to have straight A's. Right, I knew like two guys in the whole school that did that. Yeah. Victoria and her friends, I would say 50% of them are straight A kids. Something's changed because there was, I think in my entire class, like you, we maybe had two. Something has changed. I'm not sure what it is. But SpongeBob did not ruin all these kids' education and make them dumb like that with the conversation used to be. Why did they think SpongeBob was going to do that? I don't know. What was the argument? I don't know, dude. They always got something to complain about. But, yeah, that was the thing that was going to kill society back then, SpongeBob. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think in a lot of ways it saved it. I mean, some of, the, some of the funniest moments on TV that I still laugh about today were classic SpongeBob episodes. The we'll, first three seasons. We'll take the SpongeBob music and theme music. Like, everybody knows that. Hell yeah. Dude. Are you ready, kids? Right. <laughs> Dude, you had, I mean, nobody, nobody had good theme music since Batman or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, what, how much of the sp- theme music do you remember from friggin' TV shows? Not many. And the ones you do remember are 40 years old, like Three's Company and The Love Boat. Che- uh, what was it? Um, cheers. What was cheers. With the Fonz. <laughs> That was Cheers, right? No, that was Happy, Happy Days. Days. Happy cheers Days. was Cheers. But they all had like good theme music. Yes, catchy and then, themes. Right, and then Sponge had its music, but then nobody else. Yeah. That was the end. Yeah. So anyway, not sure how we got on SpongeBob. I'm glad that we key, did. Because you would think with all the, the, as much as we love the salt water and the ocean and the fishing, I don't know if we've ever talked about SpongeBob. And that's one of my favorite shows growing up. And SpongeBob's friggin'. I guess, you know, as far as salt lifers go, got to be one of the saltier cartoons ever made. Dude, SpongeBob started salt life, essentially, <laughs> if you think about it. Well, maybe from your perspective. Yeah, from my perspective, yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, I, 1999, I still remember watching it. Okay, Busaka, but I can't end this podcast like that with SpongeBob. So let me tell you something that was pretty heartfelt while we were over there in Treasure Key. I mentioned Captain Forty in Florence, with Florence's Bakery over there with the best cinnamon buns in all the Bahamas. Well, Forty in, in Florence had been around from when my dad was there, and Stephen's dad was there, and Jake's granddad was there, and they knew them very well. And as Stephen and I sat out on the porch in front of Florence's Bakery and had our cinnamon bun on the last day we were there, I wasn't there, but Captain Forty and Florence went up to Stephen Wood and said how nice it was to see Stephen and I and Jake over there in Treasure Key because they could remember hanging out with our parents and his grandparents back in the early 80s. And it gave them hope and gave them a little inspiration that Treasure Key would be back. I hope you enjoyed the story, Treasure Key and Post Dorian. This is Captain Jeff, that's Steven Busaka on that dog.